Have you wondered about living elsewhere after you retire? Well, we have, almost daily. As you know, it's not an overnight decision. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about places to consider living in during your retirement. We started this show for selfish reasons, because we will be retiring in the next few years, but we're not sure where. Then a light bulb went off in Jean's head. What are others doing? With so many baby boomers retiring, there must be many relocating. So we decided, let's connect with them and pick their brains. But first, a little background. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney and practicing higher ed law at a college who loves working with students, faculty, and staff. I am not Asian. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I am a law librarian working in a court who loves his job. We've lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York for many years and have been thinking about our future home. So we'll be speaking to folks from around the country and now around the world who have moved to venues of their dreams and more. And we will share their stories and we will share their intimate secrets. No. I'm just kidding, Jean. But we will provide information that you may not find anywhere else. So stay tuned. Hola de nuevo. Today we are joined by Karen and Richard McCann, who have a retirement home in Seville, España. Seville is the largest city in southern Spain. Well, you know, I took three years of Spanish. I have to use it (laughs) whenever I can. (laughs) Now, at this point, I normally offer some background about the venue. But since our guests are so well-versed, I would not be doing it justice. So I will defer to the experts. First, background about our guests. Karen was born in Palo Alto, California, and raised mostly in the San Francisco Bay Area, what's now Silicon Valley. She attended the University of California at Berkeley. Her career took her to Boston, California, and Cleveland, holding positions as a writer, graphic designer, journalist, corporate communications director, and marketing consultant. During their 35 years of marriage, Richard and Karen visited more than 60 countries together. And of all of those places, Seville kept calling them back. Vacations there grew longer and longer until 2004, when they decided to make it their home for a year. Now they spend about half the year there and the other half in their cottage in Marin County, California, or traveling. Karen notes, America is something you have to stay in practice for. And we don't want to lose our touch. Living and traveling abroad filled their lives with stories, which eventually grew into two best-selling travel memoirs and a host of blog posts, interviews, and articles. We will include all this information in the show notes. Here's what they've learned. No, you absolutely do not have to settle for boring, predictable travel at any age. In fact, you don't have to settle for a boring, predictable life. If, like Karen, you spend your childhood secretly longing to live overseas, maybe this is the time to start exploring the world for yourself. Richard was born in New Jersey on D-Day. His childhood was spent in New Jersey, New York City, and Boston. After graduating from Providence College, he served in the Navy, then received an MBA from George Washington University. A career in hospital administration, he became CEO of a multiple hospital health center in Oakland, California, and then at another larger system in Cleveland, Ohio, where he oversaw five hospitals, nursing homes, and a school of management. Ooh, talk about intimidation, Gene. Whoa. I told you, we are not bringing on any more CEOs. (laughs) 
Okay. He rounded out his work life as chairman of a health insurance subsidiary of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Ohio. After taking early retirement, Richard and Karen formed a consulting company serving corporate clients in Silicon Valley. On a volunteer basis, they provided business consulting services in Kenya, Bosnia, Mexico, El Salvador, and the Republic of Georgia, helping micro enterprises achieve sustainability in struggling economies. In Seville, he continues to provide consulting and mentoring for young entrepreneurs on an informal basis. Richard has a passion for travel. The McCanns enjoy taking journeys lasting three to five months, traveling on trains and other public transportation, largely through Eastern Europe. In 2019, they undertook a five-month trip dubbed the Mediterranean Comfort Food Tour. Yum. Oh, that's what we definitely need to do. <laughs> Put that on the bucket list. Meeting and filming cooks in tiny bistros and home kitchens throughout Greece, Macedonia, Kosovo, Albania, Bosnia, Croatia, Italy, France, and Spain. Ooh. I'm a few of those. <laughs> I would be gaining at least two pounds in every city. <laughs> During the pandemic, Richard took UC Berkeley's Science of Happiness course, and now they're planning a happiness tour to the places the United Nations rates highest on the scale of contentment, which, somewhat surprisingly, says Rich, is mostly the Nordic countries. Yes, I have Finland on our list also, Gene. So, Karen and Richard, we are thrilled to have you on Retire There. Gene and I have anointed you our mentors. What rich lives you've enjoyed. Seriously. We are brimming with questions, but if we may, let's start with Seville. Um, your background hinted as to the why, but if you could walk us through your journey, we would be forever grateful. Rich, you want to take that one? Yeah, I, I think I'd like to start saying that at, at one point we were living in Ohio, and we, I had retired, and we had an ideal life there. You know, we had a nice house, we lived on a river, we had good friends. Uh, it was everything that we had worked for. But we also realized during that period of time that our lives were starting to get smaller and smaller. And we weren't doing as much as we had done while I was working. I went to Karen and I said, you know, we have an ideal life here, but maybe it's time that we started looking at a different way of living and living much larger than we are today. Based on that, we went to, we decided that we would go to Spain and just take a look at it and see what it was like. And that really is the beginning of the story. Well, that makes it sound far more organized than it actually <laughs> was, because we actually stumbled into Spain. We were sort of having these vague thoughts, sure, but uh, friends invited us to meet them in Italy, and we arranged a vacation. Then some other friends wanted to have us come and visit them because they were in Spain. And we said, well, Spain really isn't on our radar, but sure, why not? So we stopped in there, and at the last minutes, our friends had to cancel. So it was just the two of us for a week in Spain, and we absolutely fell in love with it. It wasn't just the weather. It was so California-like. You know, it was just, it, we're, and since as a fourth-generation Californian, I felt right at home. Palm trees, everybody speaking Spanish. It was great. We suddenly realized that there was something here in southern Spain that we weren't seeing in other places. And it took us a long time to sort of identify what it was, but it was a kind of vibrancy particularly of the street life. Everybody in Southern Spain lives out on the streets and the, the bars and cafes are always full. You spend a lot of time in very, very casual social situations. That really spoke to us. It seemed like a lifestyle that would draw us in very easily as it proved 
That was correct. That's what happened. When you say it was California-like, I assume you mean more like Northern California than Southern California. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it was beautiful, warm, sunny weather that could have been in Northern or Southern California. Beautiful coastal drive. So I remember driving to Marbella, which is where we were going, along the coast in a convertible as it happens. And the palm trees were waving and it was just perfectly heavenly. We had not really expected it to be quite so charming quite so quickly. And then when you get to places like Seville, the architecture is just breathtaking. It really is. You feel like you're in a movie at first. Ancient castles and gorgeous old cathedrals and convents and monasteries and palaces. Everything is called a palace. A large house is a palace. We live in a (laughs) palace. Wow, (laughs) nice. An apartment in a palace. Mm -hmm. Um, So the palacios are everywhere. Ancient, ancient buildings, you know, with all of the attendant difficulties that come with old buildings, the atmosphere is so rich visually that it's really a treat to be there. And that was another thing that attracted us. Is it one of these cities that mixes old and new architecture well, or is it mostly just old? They do the old architecture beautifully. They're terrible at the new architecture. A few years ago, they built what they wanted to be sort of the Eiffel Tower of Spain, this thing that looks like a set of giant mushrooms rising 50 feet in the air. It's made out of wood. It's absolutely hideous. It's very non-functional, but it is a great landmark. So we always meet people in front of it. We say, meet us by the giant mushrooms. They go, oh yeah, that place. It has some other name, but nobody calls it anything, but the setas, which is Spanish for mushrooms. Sounds like a Gaudi. Oh, wow. It's funny when, when you say Seville, I think of that, of that building, of that structure. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, and- I know, sadly, it's <laughs> of our, it is the, in my personal opinion, the least attractive building in the city, except for maybe a few dreary high rises. It, it was designed by committee, you know, cast of thousands, cost of millions, a German architect who supposedly mm-hmm. never even been to Seville. It was just not a smoothly run project from the get-go. So going back to the question of why Seville, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I grew up in the 1950s where neighborhoods were really important, where neighbors took care of one another, where people met on the street and they weren't rushing from one place to another. And that's what we found there. If you ask someone to come and repair your house, for some reason, uh, they may show up late or they may not show up at all because they met a friend on the street and the friend said, let's go out and have a cup of coffee. And they went out and had a cup of coffee and they said, oh, yeah, but we just got tied up. We figured you were doing the same thing. So that's sort of the attitude over there. Patience is a real key issue for the for the Spaniards. You're not rushed. Nobody in the stores are rushed. The woman behind the counter may be uh, talking to her best friend on the phone and you wait until she's finished before you can pay your bill. Yeah, we try to look at it as a Zen experience. (laughs) (laughs) So at some point you decided that you wanted to spend more than a month there. I presume that looking for a home was part of that journey. Can you tell us how you decided on the home? Is it something you rent or did you buy? Well, we rent for various reasons, some having to do with taxes, some having to do with just the convenience of not having to maintain a house in a foreign country and getting people to come and work. And and as Karen explained, it's in an old Palacio. We live uh, in an apartment. Uh, There are four other apartments there. It's right in the center of the city. It's very convenient for us. We have great neighbors, all Spaniards. We've just loved every minute of it. And it's one of the reasons I think that we fell in love with the city was because of the apartment. Mm -hmm. We had a few simple criteria. 
when we were looking. Uh, we wanted to be near a park because we were bringing our dog over. We wanted outdoor space because Rich is a big gardener. And we didn't want to live in the Alfalfa Plaza. Yes, we didn't want to live in the Alfalfa District because it was famous at the time for what they called botellones, which are drinking parties that the young people do all <laughs> night long in the street. And I didn't think that it sounded so great to have five or six hundred drunken youths under my window every no, night. No, no. <laughs> it's since been outlawed. It's, been, it's since been outlawed. Kind, well, now with COVID, I think they're observing it even. the uh, So we had these like really clear ideas of what we wanted. And so this woman was showing us around and she said, well, I have one more place. She said it's it's in alfalfa. It doesn't have any outdoor space. And it's not near the park. It's nowhere near the park, but it's kind of a nice place. You might want to look at it. And before I could get the words out of my mouth, no, we're not interested. Rich said, well, why don't we just take a look? And we walked in and that was it. Absolutely gorgeous. It's got high ceilings. It overlooks an old church, the roof of an old church. So all we see is just this lovely crumbling architecture. Nice. And it's central enough and it's not right in the center of the tourist area. I mean, it's everything. It's Mm -hmm. such a perfect place. And it's actually Actually, by Seville standards, a fairly roomy apartment. So we have everybody over for Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is nice. You know, it's a oh, wow. part of our social life. How big is it? Like a two bedroom or one bedroom? Uh, it's a three bedroom. It's 136 square meters. I'm trying to do okay. that. So it's <laughs> about 1200 square feet. That's very oh, nice. Big, yeah. And is it walkable to, or do you need a car? Is it walkable to? We don't have a car. We don't have a car. We okay. hardly ever set foot in a car. We don't have a dishwasher. We don't have a television. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of the things that people here say they couldn't live without. Mm. We don't have a garbage disposal. We adjust to that. Quite frankly, we don't miss it at all. And especially the car, we don't miss. Right. So right. it's a walkable city. Yeah. Okay. It's flat. And it's safe. Mm. I mean, if I'm out having a drink with a friend and, you know, things are running late there. So it might be midnight or one by the time I'm walking home by myself. I mean, usually Rich and I are out together. But sometimes I'm by myself walking home and I know it's a safe city. I mean, it's still a city and anything could happen. And I pay attention a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Bill is rated one of the safest cities around and they really work hard because everybody pays attention to everybody else. One little neighborhood after another. And people are always looking out the window. People are on the street. I, you know, if I see somebody coming towards me on the street, my first instinct is, oh good, there's somebody else on the street. Not, oh my God, this person could mug me. Really a different flavor to it. I once had a guy try to pickpocket me. He reached into my purse and I had not zipped it fully. So he was trying to reach his hand in and I caught him and I turned around and started <gasps> yelling at him. And the woman behind him started yelling at him too. So the two of us are screaming <laughs> at this guy and Rich is looking at me like, what, what? <laughs> no, I mean, everybody engages. You are not an invisible cipher. You are not mm-hmm. invisible uh, to them. They know you're there. Oh, and here's the other thing. They respect old people. Oh, nice. Okay. Imagine, get your head around this. Yeah. Kids are taught from the cradle that you treat your parents and grandparents with respect. Now they go through all the usual teenage stuff. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but the grandmother is and grandfather are always taken care of, are taken out on the street by the youngsters and it's done without any sarcasm or snarkiness. (laughs) It is done cheerfully and it is considered a uh, family duty, and there's just no question about it. To go back to the um, to the murders, uh, to, to go Were back we to the safety. About the murders. To go back to the safety. <laughs> to go back to the safety. Did I miss that part? Pickpocketing, murdering. You know. Yeah, there've been 14 murders 
in Seville since the year 2000. Oh, wow. Wow, that's it. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we have that in a weekend in uh, San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On a slow weekend. On a slow weekend. <laughs> I love the respect for old people. I mean, I was raised to revere the elderly, and I think that's just so special because they have so much knowledge. Growing up in my traditional, you know, Chinese household, we were not allowed to mistreat our grandparents, although my grandmother and I often went at it, but... Uh... <laughs> Between equals is fine. It's that smearing contempt that I know a lot of American kids that have a really hard time talking to me. Yeah. Now that I'm older, because they think that I'm just an alien from another planet and couldn't possibly have anything to contribute to the conversation that they'd want to hear. Right. Right. I'm not a particularly boring person. I can usually hold my own in a conversation. Mm -hmm. But these kids are like, who is she? And why do I have to get stuck next to her at dinner? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Along those lines. Our friends range in age from the 20s to the 80s. Oh, nice. Because when you're in an expat community, you need to make friends. And you make friends with Spaniards, but you also make friends with expats. The community is, you, it keeps you vibrant. It keeps you young. Yeah. Rather yeah. than sitting there with, dare I say it, a whole bunch of old people. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with old people. That are talking about their teeth. <laughs> With their golf game. Yeah. Respect them, Rich. Respect them. <laughs> so um, has there been a need to learn Spanish? I know you're in an expat community, but how does that work? We for you? absolutely needed to learn Spanish. Oh. When we first got there, no one, I mean, no one spoke English. None of the people at the language school we signed up for spoke a word of English. None of the people, some people at the big hotels did but only at the major ones. The attitude was, you're in Spain. You should be speaking Spanish. We'll do our best to help you. We'll be friendly about it, but we're not going to lose you know, lose any sleep over the effort to learn English. The Spanish, like everybody, don't like to look foolish. Mm. And so they tried learning English and spent 15 minutes on it and said, oh God, this is hard. We're just going to stick with Spanish. A few years back, the tourist thing really hit in Spain up until maybe seven years ago. There wasn't a soul in the city that I ever ran across that spoke English. Wow. And then, uh, I mean, the expats did, but mm-hmm. none of the Spaniards. And then because of the influx of tourism, yes, the need for English became more apparent. And when the economy was really rough, people very wisely said, okay, you know, my, my policy on English is now changing. I'm jumping in on it. And a lot of young people have learned it. And it's quite common now to go into a restaurant, for example, order in Spanish and be answered in English. But up until the, you know, recently that wasn't the case. So it was sink or swim. If you wanted to order a pound of cheese at the market, you had to figure out, first of all, the metric system. Right. <laughs> and then you had to figure out what the word for cheese was. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really good for vocabulary. And we yeah. did get by. Yeah. In those early days, we got by. A lot of people I know say, I couldn't possibly go to a country that doesn't speak English. But you find it's more vibrant for you. And it does make your synapses yes. function yes. yes, when you learn a different language. Right. And how is your Spanish now? Karen is fluent. I am. Wow. I'm okay. Let's well, put it that way. She's much more. She's much more conversant than I am. She has a gift for languages mm-hmm. where I did not. Mm-hmm. And so, but I can make myself understood. I can read. Spanish fine. They don't always understand what they're saying. So mm-hmm. it always provides an interesting conversation. <laughs> but, a lot of uh, hand gestures, you know. Yeah, I'll we're, you, we're good at charades. They're big yeah. in my family. Uh, I'll tell charades. you, the Spaniards really appreciate it, though, when you're mm-hmm. trying to speak their language. Oh, sure. It's respect. Yeah. When you speak their language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get no sniffy attitudes if you don't pronounce things perfectly or any of that. 
Right. You know, the language thing has been really interesting for me, learning another language because you learn a different way of expressing things. They right. use different words for things. Different concepts are behind the words. It's It's been really fun. What I find is that often one person in the couple will, will be more fluent than the other. And the difficulty is that then the person who's less fluent has a tendency to sit back and not try as hard. It's mm. not a good idea. You really right. both need to learn it because it makes it so much more fun. And I will tell you, Rich is fearless. He will go to a party, even early on when he spoke about 12 words of Spanish, we would go to parties where everyone spoke Spanish. Nobody spoke a word of English. Wow. You know, we were lucky enough to meet one woman, our landlady early on, she seemed for some reason to find our, our pigeon Spanish amusing. And we started going out to coffee <laughs> with her. And then pretty soon we were having dinner at her house and everything. It was so fascinating to struggle as hard as we had to just keep up with the conversation. Wow. The worst is jokes. Forget jokes in a foreign language for the first year or so. Sure. It's, it's really impossible. But we did pretty soon manage to catch up with the basic social structure and how people did things and what you were expected to say. The Spanish tend to like to repeat things and they like to go over familiar ground as we all do. It's mm. a beautiful day, whatever. Do you oh, think the pandemic will ever end? We tend to repeat ourselves a lot. So do they. So we picked up phrases and then we were off and running, you know, just oh. Oh, wow. ourselves into conversations, whether we knew what we were saying or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you talk to us about the cost of living in Seville? Well, the cost of living is substantially less than it is here in the States. Groceries in general are, are less expensive. Going out for a meal, let's just say. Uh, Karen and I, normally, if we go out for a meal with a fairly simple meal with a glass of wine, probably costs us combined maybe 16 euros, okay. which oh. equates to almost $20. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So, I mean... We're always shocked when we come back to the U.S. and go out for dinner and the bill comes and it's like, oh, my God, you know, did, did I just buy the meal for the table next to me. Right. It must so, be hard to get back to the U.S. and have a meal compared to just leaving a steak dinner paying oh, people 20. Are, <laughs> people are always saying things like, uh, did you see the price of beer here? I go, five dollars for a beer. <laughs> oh, yeah, aren't the prices here great? And we're thinking. <laughs> pay a euro 20, which is about a buck 60. Yeah. Wow. And so it's just, we have to recalibrate our brains every time we come back <laughs> and shopping. Oh my God. You go into a supermarket and there's 700 brands of cereal. Oh. It's a nightmare here, here in yeah. Spain, there are four and three of them are chocolate. And if you want to buy oatmeal, you have to go to a specialty store across town. It's just a really different environment, but you know what you want. You go out, you get it. It is so much simpler here. It's a struggle. And then the sticker shock on top of it. Quite honestly, we have too many choices here. And so it, it gets confusing. So when we first come back to the States, we'll go, as Karen said, to the cereal section, there's so many choices to choose from. We usually wind up not getting anything because there's right. too many choices. <laughs> yeah, information overload. Going in and saying, "Do you want this box of cereal? Either chocolate or it's wheat." Yeah, Which one you want? yeah. You know? <laughs> it's be, but... And so it's much easier to make decisions. We mm-hmm. find over mm-hmm. there. As far as the cost of housing, electricity, those sorts of things, they're substantially cheaper. Now you can go up to Madrid or you can go to Barcelona, and you're paying. Paris and Rome mm. prices. Mm-hmm. But if you're in Seville, which is still relatively in the boonies, it's not expensive at all. I would say for us to live here full time, our cost of living would be about equal 
to us living here part-time and living in Seville part-time. Okay. So save enough to make up the, the airfare and, and the other expenses of going back and forth and then some, I would imagine. And if, if you're renting out your house here, if you own a house and you're renting out your house, you'd probably make money. So for like a one bedroom, let's say, can you give us Euro-wise, yeah. give us one a sense? One bedroom would probably run you between, uh, I would say, 500 and 600 euros a month. Oh, nice. Wow. Nice. Uh, a okay. two-bedroom, probably 800 a month. Mm-hmm. A three-bedroom, depending on, then you start to get up there, anywhere between 1,000, let's say, and 2,500 a month. And that, those are really, I mean, the last luxurious, one, really nice places. Really nice yeah. places, maybe with a garage attached, because mm. some people wow. actually do have cars in Seville, and parking is a nightmare. So the whole garage issue is huge if you do have a car. Okay. Yeah. Food is food is cheaper. Yeah, every time we go to the supermarket, we look at what we bought for 150 bucks and figure, you know, in Seville, that would have been 60 maybe. Yeah. You know, it just, everything is just more expensive. And what yeah. about just going to touch upon healthcare? I mean, I know that you come back to the States and maybe you come back if there's anything serious. Did you take into consideration, especially given your background, Richard, talk to us about healthcare for those who wish to live in Seville, let's say year round. I should start by saying Medicare does not cover you overseas. Right. And a lot of people, don't realize that. So they think they can still get covered overseas. Medicare mm-hmm. stops at the borders of the United States. Mm-hmm. So it's it's important for you to have uh, some form of health insurance. Now, we do see people that go over without it, but we think that's a foolish mm-hmm. activity. We carry our health insurance. Ours is a little more complicated than most people because I've got retired military. And so as a result, I'm covered by the military anywhere in the world. Oh, but wow. having said that, we do carry a basic health insurance over there, which is a company called Sanitas. This is not an advertisement. <laughs> and um, it runs us about $700 a quarter, that's, 700 euros, I'm sorry. That's good. And that's yeah. for both of us. It's gone up. It goes up every year because of my age. Mm-hmm. Not so much Karen's, but because of my age. So when we first started paying it, we were paying around 300, you know, when I was in my 60s. And it's mm-hmm. gone up to about 700 a quarter now. So having said that, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I couldn't possibly function without the healthcare in the United States. I was talking to Karen just before we came on. You have to realize the United States is rated 17th in the world in terms of quality of healthcare. Wow. So there are a lot of other countries out there that right. have better healthcare systems. Right. I mean, say as far as Spain is concerned, we believe that the basic health care that you get, primary care, secondary care, is excellent. When you start getting into the high end things like the high end specialty cares like neurology and things of that sort, the quality is not quite as good as you would have in the United States because there isn't an abundance of physicians that have mm-hmm. that specialty. Mm-hmm. So, but having said that, we have no fear about going to the Spanish healthcare system. Well, and the system itself is so much more accessible. If I get bronchitis or something and I think, geez, I really got to go see somebody about it. I just walk down to the clinic and I go in and they see me within 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it's great. You know, the other thing that they do is they make house calls. It's routine. I was sick one time, quite sick with, you know, I tended to get, uh, bronchial coughing coughing kind of disease long before COVID, not COVID, Mm. but other stuff like that Mm -hmm. years ago when we first got there for some reason. And so one time it had lasted for a while and Rich was getting concerned. So he called over 
And they said, we'll have a doctor at your door in two hours. In two hours to the minute, there was a knock on the door. Wow. Some guy came in with a medical bag. We think he was a doctor. We think he was a doctor. <laughs> we led him to the bed. He examined my body and left. <laughs> uh, but he, you know, he gave us a couple of prescriptions. And the thing is, everybody sort of gets the same things. Everybody kisses each other on both cheeks. Every time you meet, we share every germ that's going around. The pharmacists know exactly what everybody needs. The doctors know exactly what everybody needs. They stock up on it. I got the same prescription probably everybody else in my building was taking. And uh, it worked fine. You know, I was mm-hmm. okay in a week. So the system has been really good for us. We use it for minor stuff. They tend to be far more willing to have you come in every single day to have a dressing changed, for instance, mm-hmm. where here they would figure that that was uh, an unfair use of resources or something. Mm-hmm. There they would think, oh, no, it'll be better for them. No, really, it'll be fine. We are very grateful for the level of care that we get there on, on this sort of basic day-to-day level. And as far as pharmaceuticals are concerned, you can, by and large, well, first of all, insurance, nobody covers pharmaceuticals in Spain. You have to buy your own. You have to go to the pharmacy. Most things are non-prescription items Mm -hmm. that you would have to have a prescription. The average charge is $3. Wow. So when you go, the pharmacist really discusses it with you. You discuss it with them. They come come out. And with, everybody else. In and the everybody world. else in the pharmacy. Oh, yeah. My grandmother had that. Yeah. <laughs> there are no secrets in the pharmacy. I'll tell yeah. you that. <laughs> and so uh, as a result, we're getting the same drugs that we get here in the United States for $3, for three years. So we have friends come over and they need to fill a prescription. I take them down to the local pharmacy. They have their prescription bottle from the US. They put it on the counter, $3. Right. We hear that from around the from yeah. around the world, actually, that you can, if you're taking, you know, something serious, even like cholesterol or high blood pressure medicine, that it's yeah. commonplace and you don't need a Yeah. And even if you're supposed to have a prescription, talk to you for a while and then they'll go, all right, look, I'm just going to sell it. Just okay. (laughs) And they'll (laughs) sell you some of this controlled substance. And what they want to make sure is, I mean, obviously we're not there buying, I don't know, prednisone as a recreational drug. We're there buying (laughs) if somebody's got a problem and that's what their doctor thinks they need right now. It's um, practical common sense. Very comforting to know that right down the street from my house is a pharmacy that knows me, knows what I take. And I was getting, I get thyroid pills and I kept bringing them in for, must've been six years. And finally they pointed out when they were handing it back to me that it says right on the package must have a doctor's prescription. (laughs) So they said, look, we don't mean to intrude in your life, but if you could possibly drop by the clinic and get an actual prescription, it would make our lives a little better. So I did that. And Mm -hmm. now I go once a year and get that's mm-hmm. so funny. By my physician. I, I had a wonderful experience the first time I went. I was sort of having um, a little bit of high cholesterol. I'd, I'd been in the States and my doctor had said that my cholesterol was a little high. So I wanted to get a second opinion. So I went to the Spanish doctor at the clinic. I walked in, got who I got. He gave me a bunch of tests to do. And then I came back two weeks later and he goes, well, he goes, your cholesterol is a little little bit high. He says, but first I want to ask you some questions. He says, do you smoke? I said, no. He says, do you drink? I said, yes. And he said, well, how much do you drink? And I was thinking about it. And at the time, you know, we were going out a lot. I was, and so I said, geez, you know, I must have <laughs> one or two like beers or glasses of wine a day, which in America, they start giving you the, yeah, that's nothing. <laughs> and, and he goes, oh, that's nothing. In fact, we have to get that up. I mean, <laughs> joking, but 
you know, it made me feel so much better. He could tell that I was paranoid <laughs> about saying it. And then he says, okay, so your cholesterol is a little bit high. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat more dark chocolate. I want you to drink more red wine. <laughs> and I think it might be a good idea for you to eat more ham, the oh. Spanish jamón. Yeah. You know, everyone, every Spanish friend I had had told me the same thing, more jamón. And I said, now I got to ask you, you're a medical professional. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> and he said, well, not all ham. Oh, that would be oh, silly. Okay. But the good stuff, the acorn raised jamón, that is the highest of the high. He said, that stuff has been shown in tests to have antioxidants that are good for your cholesterol. <laughs> now I've looked it up and there was a study and it did kind of indicate that. Whether I needed to eat ham to get my cholesterol down, <laughs> I don't know. But you still eat I eat plenty of it because they serve it everywhere. Wait, wait, what's it called again? What's it called? Hamon. It's J-A-M-O-N. It's just the Spanish spelling. Oh. The highest level. Interesting. So, Hamon Iberico, because it's the Iberic Peninsula. Hamon Iberico. Yeah. Yeah, and it's absolutely delicious. You probably have seen pictures, if you haven't seen it in real life, of the giant ham legs hanging upside down like bats in the top oh, of yes. all of the cafes and bars and restaurants. Mm -hmm. They have little cups underneath them to collect the drippings. And they will sell you those drippings as something to smear on your toast, which I took by accident one time because they had colored it orange and I thought it was cheese. Oh my God. Disgusting thing. <laughs> the inside of my mouth was coated with grease for a day. It was like a brush. Oh it. Um, uh, Gene doesn't, Gene doesn't eat red meat. So he's like, he's not feeling very well right now. <laughs> change the subject. I'm just I have no problem with this what people over there do. Cholesterol's <laughs> probably fine anyway, Gene. I wouldn't worry about it. Get, just focus on the dark chocolate and the red <laughs> I don't know if any doctor here were to recommend ham. I think he loses um, license. He, he issues his license. license. Exactly. I know. I know. It is very counterintuitive, but a lot of things in Spain are counterintuitive to me. Like I was always raised with the idea you have to have eight hours of sleep, mm -hmm. mandatory, or you're just going to be non-functional, be a gibbering idiot. Two nights with short sleep, forget it. And I got to Spain and. During the fair, the big high holy days and the processions at Easter time, you know, there's there's two huge two-week uh, events that take place every spring. Nobody sleeps. People are up all night, at least on Thursday of Holy Week, all during the week-long fair. Oh, and like. the average Spaniard we've read gets two hours of sleep a night. And <laughs> the attitude is, have a cup of coffee, move on with your day. But don't go to the dentist during that yeah, week. Yeah, don't get the car worked on, don't have to get don't trust anybody to do fine motor skill stuff, but it, the attitude is you, you get as much sleep as you can and you don't worry about it. And it's really been amazing because now that's my attitude. You know, I tend to get insomnia kind of runs in my family and I, I don't fret about it. I just get up and read a book and then I go to sleep. It's just, if I have short sleep, I don't look at it as a horrible thing that I have to deal with. It's not a gigantic problem. If it went on for a long time, of course, I'd deal with it. But it's just every once in a while, I can't sleep. And the Spanish would go, well, who cares? Get up and oh. do it. Yeah. You know, I love yeah. that because I have major insomnia. I recently read a study, a Harvard study, taking Benadryl could lead to memory issues. I was taking a Benadryl maybe every other night for a while <laughs> because it would put me into deep sleep and I needed to function the next day. But then after reading this, I kind of freaked out. And now I take, I alternate. I'll take a Benadryl, then maybe three days later, I'll take uh, Zyrtec and then vice versa. But, you know, because there's this whole 
sleep is supposedly, and maybe it's overrated, but it's so repeatedly bashed into us that you need to at least sleep 10 p.m. to 2 because that's when your cells are regenerating at their highest levels. But that's when I don't sleep the most, 10 <laughs> to two. Well, that's when I'm watching a show from 10 to two, they have dinner at 10 uh, and they go out. Yes. Yes. Especially in the summer. And everyone's out till two, three, four in the morning. Cause it's the only time that the weather is bearable outdoors oh. and they seem to be doing fine. Okay. They really do. So a lot of this stuff I believe is cultural. Mm. I'm not saying the studies are wrong, but I'm saying that they are cultural. We are trained from childhood to believe certain things about our sleep patterns. Right. And we are raised with fear around our sleep patterns. Yes. And that is one of the things that I have worked to overcome from living in Spain. And it's been really good for me because now I just accept it as the way things are. And I don't look at it as a deficit or as Mm -hmm. a threat to my health. That's brilliant. There are are bars in Seville. Some stay open till nine o'clock at night. Some stay open till midnight. Some stay open till three in the morning. And some stay open until nine in the morning. Some open at two two o'clock in the morning for late night bars. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's indicative of people. The culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can stay up all night long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kids want to get out of the house. You know, the the ones that are of drinking age and the whole drinking age thing is a little softer over there. Yeah. They go out as teenagers. They can't afford much. So usually they bring their own liquor. But sooner or later, somebody will want to use a bathroom or people want to go to a bar for a little break. They go in and they they want to stay up all night. They, They leave their houses at 11 or 12 at night. Mm-hmm. You know, they've slept half the day, if they can manage, I'm talking weekends or, mm-hmm. you know, summers or whatever, mm-hmm. but the teenagers go out late at night. They stay out till dawn. It's very common to see them walking back. We were taking a train at dawn one time. And as we were walking to the train station, we were in Valencia. We All these kids were coming home from being out all night drinking, draggled. They looked happy. They were oh sick goodness. a little bit. It was nice. It was just different. You know, different different attitudes, cycle of the day. It's sort of how they divvy up the city. Mm. You know, the old people go to bed earlier. The pe- young people go out right. and have a good time. You will rarely find drunks in Seville because they eat and drink all the time. We we have the custom of tapas mm-hmm. where you get a drink and you have a little plate mm-hmm. that you can eat from. I think that sort of makes sure that you don't have to drink so much that you get fall down drunk. Rarity you would ever see that. You know, they serve a, a sort of seven or eight ounces glasses of beer. Ah. That's the most common thing, particularly in the hot weather that everybody drinks. So mm-hmm. you don't really get blasted, but you can spend a whole evening going from bar to bar, having a few tapas. And in the ordinary course of things, the Spanish eat five meals a day. This is another, so different from America. It's like snacking is evil here. Okay, <laughs> no, forget that. So they do five meals a day. So first they get up and have coffee and toast with ham. And then they get to the office around nine-ish. And then around 10, 30, 11, everybody goes out and has more coffee and more toast with ham. And everybody always takes it exactly their same way. There's a few varieties of ways it could be done, but your bartender always knows how you take your coffee, how you take your toast. (laughs) Nice. And they just present it to you when you walk in and it generally go to the same bar or several bars, their coffee in the morning. So that's two, two breakfasts. And then lunch is around two o'clock, much later than we eat it. Mm -hmm. And then of course, 
a siesta. And, I was waiting for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, and I am a huge fan of the siesta. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, me it's too. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it, and and some people say, "Well, you are getting older." No, I have been doing this for a long time. It's absolutely lovely. It gives me fourteen mornings a week. I'm a morning person, and I sleep better if I sleep at siesta. I sleep better at night. It means mm-hmm. that. I'm not so revved up to race through my day. It means that your day has two arcs to it. So you don't get all that pressure. The American system seems so high pressure to me now that you would get up at six in the morning and go till 10 at night. It just seems insane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's no real accounting for, you know, you're supposed to work all day Mm -hmm. and then you get home, you race around, you make meals. And if you've got a family, you're taking care of kids or your grandparents or whatever it is. It's just, it just never stops. And you fall into bed. Get to your fourth meal. Oh, the fourth meal. (laughs) Then when you get up from siesta, I I knew there was a point in the story. (laughs) Uh, Fourth fourth meal is called merienda, which is afternoon snack. Now the Spanish go all out with this, more coffee and a sweet roll. To wake him up. So that this they, is why they can't say there you go, Gil. power through. Now I do not go to the sweet roll route very much. I tend to be more like maybe a piece of toast or some yogurt or something. But I do have something every afternoon when I get up from siesta. And do you do siesta when you're back in the States? Yes. Yeah. It's been what it's one of the small silver linings of the pandemic is that nobody calls or stops by you know, <laughs> during the siesta hours. So we're much more relaxed. And, and in the normal course of things, it's really hard not to have, you know, workmen coming over or people dropping by or whatever. Now it's, uh, it's, it's nice and quiet and peaceful. We get our siestas in every single day. Oh, Richard, you too? Oh, absolutely. Yo, wow. absolutely. Rich is a champion sleeper. He can sleep in the dentist chair. <laughs> 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 yeah. I have also. Planes and stuff. Anyway, yeah. so then the, the last meal of the day is, of course, dinner, which they have around 10 o'clock at night. Full meal with usually beer or wine or something. And then often go out for a little walk afterwards or something. I mean, for us, one of the joys of going out to eat in Seville is that we usually uh, will be walking back at midnight or one o'clock through the city streets, Mm. pleasant weather, everybody else is out. And, you know, it's a nice way to sort of come down from the evening emotionally, digestive wise, I guess. Yes. Yes. Just ease out of the dinner as opposed to getting in your car and driving and getting out. It's so abrupt now. Those are the five meals. You don't have dinner in California at 10 now, do you? No, we usually eat around eight. Mm. A little later than it's a compromise. It's a compromise. We have friends who eat at five. Right. And mm-hmm. we find that a little more difficult. We have friends who eat lunch at 1130. We usually around 130 or two. Okay. We kind of stick to the meal schedule mm-hmm. and we have our second breakfast. Oh, you have a second breakfast now? Yeah. Well, we have a real, <laughs> real breakfast with oatmeal. Uh, I make granola every week for Rich. Mm-hmm. He loves it. We It saves us all that decision-making in the aisles of the supermarket. Sure. <laughs> Freeze right through. We don't even stop in that aisle anymore. Anyway, the second breakfast is usually something lighter, just a nibble of you know a, a cookie or toast or something mm-hmm. light. Mm-hmm. But it's a pause in the day. As right. well as a little nibble of something. Say that I, you know, the arc of my day is a gentle one. Right. Well, that's a lot of coffee in one day. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to. I'd be decaf, decaf, decaf. It's yeah. probably ten o'clock. I'm not a big coffee drinker. I'll have my one cup of coffee in the morning, and then mm-hmm. I won't have coffee after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I certainly can't do coffee after lunch I, or after siesta. I, yeah. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I love coffee, and if it didn't have the effects, I'd be drinking it around the clock. But you know. <laughs> but, you know yeah. We always say that 
in France, they see food as a friend, mm. where in the United States, you see food as the enemy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think that goes for Spain as well. I think that goes for Spain as well. That mm-hmm. they, they they don't worry that much about. Oh my God, I'm on a strict diet. Right, and that's a United so, States phenomenon. Yeah, it is. As a result, the quality of the food is very good. Most of the food we eat is all fresh food. Right, fresh hamon. But <laughs> that hamon. But, um, uh, so you eat a little. You don't eat huge meals. So even when you go out at night at nine or 10 o'clock at night, you're not eating a huge steak dinner or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You're eating light meals. And so, and it's all fresh. So it's all healthy for you. The desserts in Spain uh, are <laughs> very, very popular and you don't want them. They, they're the most gorgeous looking desserts you've ever seen. You know, these 10 layer cakes with whipped cream between each layer. Yeah. Smothered in some sort of frou-frou-y pink frosting. Oh, with, so nice. But they have no flavor. Interesting. They're just really? basically sugar and, so no and fat. There's not, not that there's anything wrong with sugar and fat. God knows I <laughs> don't enough of it. They don't use vanilla. They don't use like almond uh, flavoring. They tend to have extremely bland uh, cakes. and Unlike the French. No, oh. no. The French is, France is where you oh. want to go for dessert. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, definitely. Which is great. But I do eat them sometimes because if I'm at somebody's house mm. and we're having one of these eternal dinner parties, or even mm-hmm. though we're eating small amounts, mm-hmm. we start eating, you know, say at 9.30 or 10, often it's served just around a coffee table and it'll be one little mini course after another. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so by midnight or one o'clock, I need something to keep me awake. So I go, yes, I'll have some cake. And they serve me <laughs> an enormous piece of fluff that is 99% sugar. They trace this all the way back to the Moors because the Moors used to be the bakers. Mm. And when the Moors left Spain, there was nobody to step in and take up baking. Mm. And so as a result, they believe that baking should look good, not necessarily taste good. <laughs> They lost the the knack of it. It was a disgraced profession because it was associated, (laughs) you know, when they were kicking everybody out. Sure. uh, During the Inquisition. It sounds like the desserts are the same desserts that I see at New Jersey diners. (laughs) <laughs> and I always get fooled. I go to the that carousel of spinning desserts. They look beautiful. The chocolate, mm. everything looks beautiful. I get a piece and it's basically taste. It's just sugar. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it yeah. sounds exactly like that. And I get fooled every time. But back to food. Um, are the restaurants mainly tapas or can you get a variety of food? Oh, no, you can get anything, especially now. But yeah, they have every bar serves food, but most of it is really tapas. But there are many restaurants around town. You don't get a lot of Chinese restaurants. You don't get a lot of Indian restaurants. Mm. The Spaniards like their own restaurants. Mm -hmm. And so they like their own food. So we had a friend of ours that was in England and he invited some Spanish friends to come and stay with him. And they showed up with a full leg of ham because they weren't sure they could get Spanish ham. In, oh my goodness. And they probably couldn't. It's not and they probably supply. couldn't. They like what they like. You know, they like fish. They like chicken. They like pork. They wow. like wild boar. They like wild boar. Wow. Uh, they like those types of things. Fish is a big item on their, Thank goodness. their menu. But they like sharing small plate. The tapas, often it's just you eating your own tapa or ah. you get a platter for the middle of the table. But sharing is a big function, you know, big way that people eat there. Mm-hmm. Everybody, and before COVID at least, everybody reached in with their hands to take food. Mm-hmm. It's just considered normal. You don't stop and get a fork to take your share out. It's it's just not considered necessary. 
And so this is very old style, family style eating. And I'll be very curious when we get back there. As you know, we're in California at the moment, Mm -hmm. hoping to get back soon to Spain um, now that it's finally opening it back up to Americans. And, um, you know, I'll be interested to see whether COVID has changed that or not. But I suspect we will still be eating with our hands out of common dishes. Wow. Right along, just as we always have. Well, if you really want good tapas, and you head over to Berkeley, Jean's sister, Oakland, Oakland, Jean's sister has a really New York Times listed acote, A-C-O-T-E, yummy. Yeah, she has a restaurant <laughs> on College Avenue in, um, in Oakland. Where Karen used to live. Yeah, College Avenue. Karen lived on College Avenue. Wow. It's actually in, in uh, Oakland. It's in the Rockridge section. Oh, in Rockridge. Yeah, great area. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. So, is it um, uh, Spanish or it's, no? It's it's, it's it's really Mediterranean, but it's small dishes. That's why when she opened it, must have been twenty years ago. It got a lot of attention um, because it was there weren't so many small dish non tapas restaurants around. Oh, so it was in New York right. Times. It's, it's yeah. a lot of places. Now it's yeah. now it's really popular. I wanted to ask you since half the year you live in Seville. And the other half, you mentioned you're either back home in California or you're, well, I shouldn't say back home. I should say back home in the States, not necessarily. It could be Seville back home. Are you renting a new place every time you go back to Seville? I guess that's the question. And is it no, hard they, to find? No, they rent it all year. I was thinking that. but they, Oh, you rent it all year. We rent it all year. We rent all year. We want to be able to come and go as we please. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. So you've had the same place for years. 15 years, 16, something like 15 years. Yeah. Oh, that's good because then you don't have to worry about, you know, moving all that. And, oh, okay. Okay. That clears up a lot for me. We feel like we truly live there. You know, in the past we spent more than six months sometimes, but it's, uh, we're just evolving our lifestyle and it seems to work out best for us Mm -hmm. to have about six months there and the other six months here and Mm -hmm. or on the road. Okay. I have a question about um, Siesta. I want to go back to siesta. I had read a few years ago, I think in the New York Times. That's because he takes like five siestas a day. (laughs) I'm pro siesta. Well, just as Gillen, as you can see, is she's not saying much, but she's not big into siesta. No, no, it's not that. I have a tough time falling out. And when I do, my siestas are two hours. No, I think one of the reasons is when we've been to Europe, you go to the store in the afternoon and it's closed. Why? Yeah, we, we... Because of siesta. Yes. And we got married in Florence and we couldn't get our license because everything was closed from two to four. Remember that? (laughs) Yes. That delayed our marriage by a day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But but it's true. You weren't so happy with the siesta. Well, because I can't use it. You know what I mean? I can't benefit from it. And the stores are closed. And Well, I don't care about that. Yeah, I should do. (laughs) <laughs> okay, go go back to your question. What was your question? Right. My question is, I had read that the siesta was dying in part because um, businesses weren't so happy with it. And people would, you know, they stay out late, like you say, and they, they, they drink a little. And the thing that keeps them going is the siesta. Do you find that true that it's dying or, or not? It's not, not in Seville. Okay. But in other parts of Spain, and throughout Europe, what's happening is the European Union is pushing to get rid of it, so that wow, interesting. Just not, it's just not the commercial businesses; it's business in general. I mean, the wow. financial sectors, all of that. 
if you close for two hours, you're not making any money. Wow, that's and a so cultural. That was oh. more yeah. cultural. And so we've seen some changes in in uh, Seville over the course of the last 15 years. It's still, uh, they, they talked about doing away with the siesta, but every civiliano will say, it's never going to happen. You know, <laughs> we just are not going to do it. We're going we're gonna to continue to take our siestas. And I love that. Pushing for it in part just because they want conformity. And Seville is not really big on certain kinds of conformity. They're, they're very big on conformity to their own traditions. Right. They don't really give the time of day to anybody else. So I think it'll be a long time before the siesta disappears. But I think it will gradually erode because of all of this pressure. You know, if you're in business in Seville, doing business with a company up in Madrid, it starts to get awkward. But the, the positive side, of the stores being closed during the siesta hours, usually like two to five, a good three hour window is what we usually find, mm-hmm. um, is that then they open again from five to eight. So they're open later, ah. they're about the same number of shopping hours, but it divides your day into these two arcs so that you have the morning activities and you have the afternoon activities. Mm. And you sort of pace your day around it. And once you get used to it, it drove me nuts at first. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was always charging out the door and realizing that nothing was available. But <laughs> I love it now. Yeah. And, you know, some of the bigger stores, like the big department store, El Corte Inglés, is uh, open throughout the whole lunch hour and on into oh, the evening huh. has long hours. So if you desperately need an egg beater in the middle of the afternoon, <laughs> you can get one. Mm-hmm. But Generally speaking, the stores do close and it gives a rhythm to life that is human scale. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Seville is all about life at human scale. I love that. And it's less so, it's eroding because of the pressure from mo- the modern world, but it is still mm-hmm. in many ways about tiny neighborhood bars where everybody gathers. It is about stopping in the middle of the day to go home and have lunch with your family. Sure. I should say that Sundays are sacrosanct. Oh, yeah. In Seville, everything is closed by law. Oh, except wow. uh, little shops that are smaller than a thousand. Square feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's about what six hundred square meters, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the major department stores, everything is shut down. And so when we first got there, where it drove us crazy because we couldn't go out, we couldn't shop, we couldn't do what we needed to do. And slowly but surely, we adjusted to that, and we realized that Sundays now are our favorite day. Mm. Wow. Because you get up late, you you know, have a coffee, you have a little breakfast, you might go out and get something, you come back, you rest, and then you go out for a very long lunch, which most Spaniards go with their family. And you'll sit and you'll come back and you'll have a long siesta and just relax for the day. And it just takes all the pressure off. That's great. And so everything Spaniards you need. Are all with their families mm-hmm. on Sundays. So mm-hmm. we very rarely see any Spanish friends of ours. Oh, interesting. Uh, but the restaurants are open. Uh, the restaurants are open. The yeah. Restaurants do open, and they do have big family meals. So on Sundays, when we're in Seville, we usually walk out. You know, maybe forty-five minutes, a good long, you know, stroll, mm-hmm. and to eat at one of the family-style restaurants in any direction. I mean, we have places all over the city that we enjoy. And while we're here in California, we don't do that because they, it's just not the same sort of situation. But mm-hmm. what we do is we have our own Spanish style uh, Sunday afternoon lunch 
where we set up a table in the garden, we make a nice meal, oh, nice wow. wine, mm-hmm. and then take a siesta. You see how the system works? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So have you made many friends in Seville? Or are they mostly expats or? Sure. We've made, to, it's a very social city. And mm-hmm. one of the things about living in an expat community um, is that it's easy to meet expats because they all know how important it is to have a social life and that you're struggling to establish a social mm-hmm. life. So when you meet someone, they will sort of check you out, see if they're going to be your new best friend, but then they'll pass you on to the next person, which you don't bother to do here. But if somebody- Oh, to cir- enlarge the circle. Yeah, to enlarge the circle. Mm-hmm. So somebody will say, oh, you, um, you're you a writer. There's another writer that moved here. Or you're from mm-hmm. California. There's another Californian. Or you like jazz. I don't, but other people mm-hmm. I hear do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like jazz. I'll put you together with this person who likes jazz. Oh. Uh, so there's just this constant sort of effort to keep the conversations going in as many directions as, one, as you can. Oh, nice. There's a couple of clubs that everybody joins in the beginning and then you meet a few people and then sometimes you keep going and sometimes you don't. Um, it's not just Americans. Either. Yeah. It's not just Americans. It's, oh. it's uh, uh, people from all over the world. Hmm. I mean, our, the, among our closest friends are what? Uh, French, French, British, Iranian. Uh, Irish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a broad spectrum mm-hmm. and, and Spanish mm-hmm. uh, as well. And nice. so it makes for a nice mix. Mm-hmm. Well, when we first uh, came to Spain, Karen was talking about our landlord, and she got Karen involved in a painting group, which was all Spanish. And you were in that for about two or three years. Oh, three or four years. Yeah. Wow. wow. But that nice. introduced us to husbands of the people that were in it, and we would go on trips with them. Wow. And it was all strictly Spanish. If you make an effort to get out there, yeah, then you're fine. If you sit there and say, oh, I couldn't possibly, you know, talk to a Spaniard, or I couldn't possibly do this, or I couldn't possibly do that. We had some people we knew that came and said, we are not going to leave our apartment until we speak perfect Spanish. Mm. Well, they left in two or three months. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I can imagine. The other thing is, a lot of people will come to Spain thinking that they're going to move there. They'll stay for a week or two Mm. and say, we absolutely love this place. We're going to move here. And we discourage that because once, when you first come, you're always on vacation, but it's difference between being on vacation and actually settling down and living in a place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what we say is come spend a month here, rent an Airbnb or do something, see how you like it, come back again, see how you like it, find the neighborhood that appeals to you, those sorts of things. And then make the decision whether you want to move here. But don't come here for a week and decide this is ideal because no place is an ideal life. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Excellent. It's funny. The more and more you speak about Spain, I think more and more it reminds me of growing up in, in a small town where the neighbors looked after you and you had doctors who came to your house. It's it's funny that we, we don't really have that here in the States much anymore. Yeah, that's gone. Well, at least, at least where we live. We have a knife sharpener that comes to the neighborhood. He plays his little <laughs> oh, pipe and everybody rushes out and they sh- sharpen the knives. I mean, we actually have that in Bay Ridge. We still have one in Brooklyn. Yeah, there's a guy. Oh, in Brooklyn. God, really? Yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're, we're moving to Brooklyn. Brooklyn. That's it. <laughs> 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 
no. uh, we don't have anything like that here. I mean, we have other things. But yeah, you have yeah. you have cool stuff what in California. What are you kidding? You're in San Francisco. I mean, you have yeah, cool stuff in you California. You have better stuff. <laughs> I, uh, I remember. I remember as a kid, my grandmother lived up in the Bronx, and mm-hmm. she lived in the Irish ghetto up there. And yeah, yeah, and then yeah. We used to go up and visit her, and it was the same thing that you're talking about. It was all neighborhood. You know, neighbors would come out and watch the kids or just keep an eye on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of that has disappeared. Yeah. But yeah. in Spain, they have no hesitancy about coming up to you in a restaurant and saying that child should have a hat on. Yeah. Or, cool. or you know, you're, wow. you're not dressing that child appropriately. The child needs warmer clothes. I, I mean, love that. They, they feel free to be able to do that. And most people would take offense yeah. at right. that in the United States. There, it's just sort of like, oh, thanks a lot. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I would not you know, recommend that in New York. Say, but it's like your grandmother saying it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah That's we so were, interesting. Yeah, yeah. We were in a restaurant one time with a couple of uh, uh, young British couple that had just moved there with their baby. And we were telling them this was how people are uh, are in Spain and how they would expect that people would pay attention to their baby in a way that they might not be used to. And, um, and with that, the waiter comes out and says in Spanish, my God, that is the cutest baby I've ever seen. Picks it up out of its stroller and walks into the kitchen with it. <laughs> now, you know, in America, there would be an amber alert out there. Yes, yes, yes. I was just and thinking that. The young British couple look at us and go, what is that? I go, it's fine. It's fine. And you could hear him out there going, look at this cute baby. Oh, my God, is it adorable? And everybody like giving a fuss. And then him coming back and placing it in the mother's arms. So, <laughs> It was a really lovely moment, and I could tell they probably are having nightmares about it. To of this course. <laughs> could you imagine? It's like, yeah. oh, there's a little American babies on the market. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's what you, that's what the way things used to be. My mother would take <laughs> would take me in the carriage yeah, she'd to, leave to, the, you to the supermarket and leave me outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the carriage and <laughs> and. I think that's insane. I survived. Right, I don't right. Know. you survived. No one wanted you. <laughs> but but that reminds me of that story. That's funny. But- yeah, well, they still do that in some places today. I was reading this story about, uh, or actually watching a, a TED Talk by somebody from, I think Denmark, it was Denmark, yeah. one of the Nordic countries, I think it was Denmark, who said that people there still do routinely leave babies outside of a cafe. And they showed that like, there were three or four <laughs> Uh, baby carriages just out in front of this thing. And when somebody said, well, who watches the kids? She said, we all do. Oh, that is so sweet. That's how it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it was. Well, you know, I watch all these European mystery thrillers and I do not recommend leaving a child outside. (laughs) I don't care. I don't care. Especially in the county of midsummer, you know, God in heaven, people die at the rate of seven an episode. (laughs) I have a list of 40 shows. Oh, all those noir shows. Yeah. Oh, dear Lord. I have a question. How far is the nearest airport to you? Oh, yeah. In Spain. We're uh, from Seville. We're about, just for the an airport, we're about 15 minutes from the airport by oh. cab. We're two hours from uh, London Heathrow. Oh, You can wow. fly into Gatwick or London Heathrow. Nice. Yeah. It, it's fairly bad. convenient. What we usually do is we'll fly from San Francisco into Heathrow stay overnight to get ourselves adjusted mm. and then take a commuter flight back to, uh, back to Seville. Okay. Is there uh, a direct flight from Seville to the States or? No, not okay. to San Francisco. No. Okay. You'd have to, you'd have to go up to Madrid. Mm. And there's a direct flight from Madrid, okay. which is, 
two and a half hours by train. Mm. Huh. But that's so nice getting into Heathrow. My God, you but can spend a week there. <laughs> can you take a train from London? Uh, you, you can. Well, you have to go through the channel to France uh-huh. and then oh. come down through right, right. to Spain. Yeah. Okay. Well, but we did it once. We did it. Yeah. We went to, from London to Paris, which is actually only about an hour and a half. Nice. Yeah, surprising. It's really fast. Wow. I, mean, I never realized it was that. And of course, the, the train systems are so fabulous there. Mm-hmm. I mean, as Karen said, we took a five month trip and we went, you know, trains and some countries didn't have trains. Mm-hmm. So we had to take a bus. But I mean, it was it was effortless. Trains were all nice. We had a great time and we weren't rushed. And you could get pretty much everywhere. Yeah. 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 So I have a question going back to um, like, we want to travel um, in a few years, you know, three months here, three months there. But if we go beyond three months, you have to get a special visa. Right. right? So the two of you, how does that work? Because you're going back and forth in six oh, yeah. months and so forth. Good question. Well, we have what's known as permanent residency. Ah, okay. So you got that. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, it, the way it works is the first the first time you do this, you get a one-year residency card. Mm-hmm. And then the second time you get a two-year residency card. And then you third time you get a two-year residency card. And then you get a five-year residency card. Oh. And so and at that point it's permanent. At that at you're allowed the five to year it's permanent. You're allowed to work there, you're allowed to do whatever you want. But after after that five years, you have to renew your card, not renew your residency. Okay. And so we're in that zone right now where we we have over our residency cards have expired. Right. So we can't get back into the country. But as soon as we go back, we're gonna renew our residency card. The way the know. 90 days works mm-hmm. is you, you're familiar with the shrinking countries. No. Which are, the there, what? there's a group of countries in the European Union called the shrinking countries, and they have mutual requirements. So if you go to Spain, for example, without a residency card, you can stay there for 90 days, mm-hmm. but you can only stay in the shrinking countries for a total of 90 days. Is that shrinking? What is that? Shringen. It's Shringen. S-C-H-R-I-N-G-I-N. I okay, think. okay, okay. I thought I misheard you. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not exactly the same list as the UN as the uh, EU. Okay, but it's very close. Most mm-hmm. EU countries are in it, but a few aren't, and a few that aren't EU countries are part of it. But they have this reciprocal agreement about what, how long you can stay. So you can only stay collectively in the shrinking countries for 90 days. So you can't go to Spain for 89 days and then go to France. Okay. Okay. It used to be the true with um, England, but now England's in Brexit. So Mm -hmm. you can go to England, Mm -hmm. but you can't come back for 90 days. Wow. Ah. You can't go and come and go and come and go. Right. Okay. Okay. So, and the fines are rather substantial when you're leaving the country. Really? Wow. So if you overstay your 90 days, you can be charged. I can't remember the number, but you can be charged like a thousand dollars and then you're banned from coming back. Really? Forever? You want to watch this and make sure you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do on this. Wow. So it's something to pay attention to, which most people 
don't realize, well, I'll go to Spain for 90 days and then travel around Europe. Mm. We're going to be relying on Karen's blog for all this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the good thing is you can always go to Albania because they're not part of the Schengen countries. And it's a very entertaining place to go. Great prices, (laughs) amazingly good food. uh, Not very many tourists, incredibly enough. Yeah, Yeah, speaking about Karen's blog, Karen, since you've moved to Spain, um, you've written three books. Can you just tell us a little about those books? Well, what happened was, you know, I've always been a writer and I've always done a lot of a certain amount of travel writing, but also lifestyle and this, that, and the other. And it was, I, I wasn't doing a lot when I got to Seville, but then I started writing for one of the local uh, publications, uh, newsletter, really nothing fancy. And I started and accumulating all these stories. And then one day I just had this idea that I really should write it down. You know, there's always a, uh, a question about as a writer, what your next big project should be. And you have to wait until you get that moment when it's clear in your head. And it's just, I woke up one morning and it was clear in my head. Mm. I I should really write a book about our transition to Seville from Cleveland, Ohio to Seville, Spain is a pretty big jump. Mm. And uh, (laughs) so I started writing it. And as I got deep into the book, I started looking at how you publicize a book. And everybody said that I had to have a blog that that's the way that you get readers. Well, I didn't really even read a lot of blogs at that time. This was back in 2011. So I thought, well, okay, let me see what's happening. So I, I started reading other people's work and I, I could see how I could continue you know, my, writing my book, but also start doing a, a blog. And I found that I love doing it, that writing a weekly, basically like a weekly column yeah. about any subject whatsoever that right. interests me is absolutely the ideal assignment for me as a writer. Yeah. So the blog was originally designed to sort of promote my books, which it did a great job of. I was very happy about that. But the blog itself became the heartbeat of my writing life. Nice. It was the wow. steady activity that I do more or less every day. I mean, I take, I take, um, not every day, every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I take uh, the odd week off here and there, you know, usually around the holidays and if we're traveling or something, mm-hmm. I might skip it for a little bit. But also when we're traveling, it gives me an excuse to write about whatever crazy stuff is going on with us. So it's really adds to a lot of the fun. And the great thing about doing a blog is it gives you an excuse to be nosy, <laughs> to go places you would never bother with, to take a cheesy tour just because it sounds hilarious. Yeah, you know, All sorts of crazy stuff. And Rich is so uh, supportive of the whole effort and loves the excuse to be nosy and go places we shouldn't be <laughs> So, you know, we find ourselves doing things like, you know, staying on an Albanian farmhouse and interviewing them about their food or, you know, going to a haunted hotel and oh. all that kind of stuff just for the fun of writing about it. Mm-hmm. And so the blog took on a life of its own. The book came out about Seville and it you know, did better than I ever expected it to, which was wonderful. And that book's Dancing in the Fountain, right? Dancing in the Fountain, How to Enjoy Living Abroad. So I called the blog Enjoy Living Abroad because Mm -hmm. it sort of tied in with that. And I thought I was just going to do the one book. But then a couple of years after that, Rich turned to me and he said, Karen, we're starting to get into a rut. We have to shake things up a little bit. The idea came forth that we would do a railway journey 
So we ended up doing a long three month railway journey, mostly through Eastern Europe, had wild adventures, loads of fun. And that was the essence of the next book, Adventures of a Railway Nomad. Oh, I like that. So that also did surprisingly well. We were very happy with, you know, the response to it. People really loved it. People said very nice things about it. You know, it it really helped to uh, sell the book to have this blog, but the blog itself is really well worth doing. And I've done some smaller books, like a guide to packing light. Uh, Rich is always pushing me to bring fewer things on every trip. (laughs) For 20 years, he tried to talk me into traveling without any luggage whatsoever. And I kept saying, that is insane. Why would I want to do that? A few creature comforts. I don't demand much, but a little something. And then one day, uh, somebody's a friend sent us an article about a couple that had gone on a luggage-free trip. I read it and she didn't go with nothing. She brought a purse with a little sunscreen and toothpaste and all of that stuff. And I thought, well, I guess I could do that for a couple of days. So before my common sense could take over, I ran into the other room and I said, all right, I'll do it. We'll go away luggage free for a few days. Well, Rich was overjoyed. But where did you go? It wasn't like around the block. You went to a country. We went to to France. Yes. Wow. (laughs) With the toothbrush. Is your yeah. house in Seville like minimal? Did you guys, you know, get very little furniture? No, we are not minimalist by nature. We, <laughs> we, you know, I paint so the walls are full of paintings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have an old Oriental rug on the floor. We have big comfy furniture with stuff draped over it. So it's California in Seville. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're not minimalist, but we yeah. can walk out and lock the door and, you know, have somebody check on it very yeah. infrequently. And what it'll does be Karen fine. say we are? Our houses are? Windows for the soul. No, no, that no. That one? No. The type oh, of whimsical. Whimsical. Yeah. Oh, I know what whimsical is. About what our style was. She finally decided it was whimsical. <laughs> <laughs> so I know exactly what that is. Okay. And, and when you travel with, without anything, do you, no clothes at all? Well, we wear clothes. We don't go naked. Because <laughs> we find people tend to stare. We've already <laughs> had we've already had those that couple on our show. Oh yeah, we did have a couple. <laughs> yeah, it's been known. It's been known. <laughs> what we do is we have clothes that can be laundered. This uh, underwear that's made by ex officio. If you wash it at night, it's dry in the morning. Loves that. Um, yeah. So I wore that stuff and I had a gauzy undershirt mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, another shirt over that and a jacket. It was October. It was still mm-hmm. quite warm in Europe. We had outfits that could be refreshed in the hotel room at night, keep us in some level of hygiene. Everybody seemed to be certain that we were just going to wear the same clothes, never take them off, never wash them. <laughs> I spent so much time discussing my underwear. Every time this conversation happens, but that's fine. Uh, I do feel that a reasonable level of hygiene was maintained far better than I ever did on a camping trip. <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about this. And it's really funny to arrive at a hotel without any luggage. Really? It always goes like this. They always welcome us in and then they say, where is your luggage? And I say, we have no luggage. And they always look down at the floor at our feet like we're fooling them in some way. Like this is a practical joke. These and are criminals. They're criminals. At us and, I mean, it all gets very confusing. And then we explain about what we're doing. Sometimes they speak enough English for, or we speak enough of their language to, to walk them through what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just obviously think we're insane, but <laughs> we're customers and they won't say anything. Or we're having an affair. 
Yeah, or yeah. how long are you staying? Oh, yeah. That's what I was thinking of. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. You just so, met, yeah. That's a good one. Or or that you're gonna buy everything there. I mean, what do they care? Yeah, tell the truth. Have you bought anything? Did you buy anything while you were she there? Has. We always do. I mean, what happens is you bring a tiny little tube of toothpaste and after two days it's gone, so you buy another one. No, no, or no. He's talking about clothes. clothes. He's clothing. talking about clothes, Karen. No, we know on, on, not on our luggage free trip because it's like a, a sacred quest at that point. It is a, an agreement that we come to with each really? other. We are finding nothing except, you know, if we lose the sunscreen, we'll buy another. We absolutely are trying to see what it's like to walk through the world unencumbered by luggage. And that, my friends, is actually a very nice feeling. It wow. is. So it compensates for not having everything with us that we would like. Now, mm -hmm. we brought Kindles the first time we did it. Mm -hmm. um, later, we just got Kindle books on our phone. So we nice. didn't even have to take that. You know, we take a few small creature comforts. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very worried about sunscreen. I have sure. a skin that does not do well in sun without mm -hmm. sunscreen. So I always make sure I have some of that. You know, we brought little things like that that would keep us safe, healthy, and comfortable. We mm -hmm. brush our teeth with mm -hmm. toothpaste. Well, I should say that Outside of the luggage, luggage-less travel, we also, when we go on the five-month trips, it's only carry-on. Yeah. Wow. So carry on five bag. months. So in that case, if we have been known to go out and buy something, mm -hmm. but there's so little room in our suitcases that if you buy something, you have to get rid of something. So, yeah, so you, you bring your old clothes, and then when you get to Finland, make sure you get some cool cotton tops. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we went to Finland on one of our long train trips. Oh, what was that it was like? Really fun. <laughs> I, I want to get back for a second. Can you talk about the weather in Seville? The weather in Seville is almost identical to Northern California, probably wow. five degrees. Wow. With one exception, and that's the summer. And we would never recommend anyone go to Seville in the summer. Okay. The temperature can range anywhere from 90 to 115. Oy. So your place so, has air conditioning? Yeah. We do have air conditioning. And there there are more houses with air conditioners in Seville than with heat. Oh, wow. that's so interesting. So everything shifts during the summer. So it's one of the reasons why people go out so late for dinner mm -hmm. is because from probably around 11 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, you don't see anybody on the street except yeah. crazy tourists. Okay. I, he I heard you mention that. Now, for I did want to ask, for entertainment, are you near any mountains or what do you, what do you guys do when you're in Seville? I'm sure there's the arts, that much I know. Yeah. We don't actually go out of Seville all that much. We mm -hmm. did when we first got there. We had friends who were really into little excursions, uh, Spanish friends, and we would jump in their car and mm. off go and explore this town or that town. And that was really fun. But now we are mostly, when, when we're in town, we just enjoy what the city has to offer. And it's a very rich city. Okay, It has every kind of entertainment that I can think of anyway. Mm -hmm. My brother and his wife, were in Seville. Uh, they came uh, about a year, a little over a year ago, about a month mm -hmm. before the pandemic hit, kind of tough. Mm -hmm. but they were, um, my brother is a, a musician and he, for him, the availability mm -hmm. of music, music was one of the main things. He was blown away by the music scene. I'm completely mm -hmm. unmusical, so I can't comment or not. Sure. But he said he was really stunned. He kept going to concerts uh, open air concerts and jazz and, you know, all sorts of things. 
little bars and big venues and everything. And just really was amazed by the quality. And then there's the whole flamenco stuff. Mm. Uh, Seville is one of the epicenters of the flamenco movement. <laughs> and it is alive and well there. Uh, before the pandemic, anyway, there was something like 60 or 80 schools teaching wow. various aspects of flamenco music, dance, wow. uh, the special clapping that they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, the shows are amazing, even in the tourist venues. Okay. The quality of the dancing is outstanding, yeah. oh, almost universally. It's mm-hmm. very, wow. very hard to find bad flamenco. People do it on the street to pick up a little extra cash. It may not be quite as good, but it's mm. decent. Enjoyable, it's yeah. Just lovely. There's a lot going on. There's museums, exhibitions. There's uh, a concert hall, opera, mm. symphonies there. So there's no shortage, obviously. Far more than what you would find here. And Mm -hmm. the people go to these things. So the symphony is extremely popular in all age groups. Oh. Yeah, I remember when we were first there, we heard about this. um, Handel's Messiah was going to be played at the cathedral. And it was free. So we went really early because somebody said, oh, it's going to get really crowded. So we got seats. We met a friend there and it got jammed. They shut the doors. The music started up. And in the back of the church, I could hear this pounding on the doors, this pounding, pounding. And I talked to somebody about it there. And she said, yes, those are the people that couldn't get in. And they are pounding at the door. (laughs) Her displeasure. And I'm thinking, when was the last time a classical musical <laughs> concert in a church had people <laughs> pounding on the doors? Wow. Curious because they couldn't get in. The Rolling Stones, sure, but Handel? <laughs> I mean, it was really impressive. <laughs> I was, oh, that must have been nice. And there was a period of time they put pianos around the town. Yeah, that? they do that from time they to put time. Outdoor pianos around the town, and oh. people would come by and just play them. So so cool. There are a ton of street musicians and they range from very good to very, very bad. (laughs) I remember in this bar near our house, we were there late night once and this old lady comes in. She had this sort of straggly hair and she had a guitar with, I think, two strings. And she started plucking the strings and was wailing and people showered her with money to get rid of her. And I guess that's her strategy. (laughs) They showed <laughs> to get rid of her. She didn't stay very long. No, she was but there she about five minutes, and she must have made 20 bucks. Oh, that was smart of her. Since you've been to Seville, do you get a lot of visitors? Like we friends did. at home, we did. family? The first year we were there, we had visitors 50% of the days we were there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, nothing we can do about it. Close friends and family, you just don't say no to. Yeah. Um, Gil does. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can see why. Yeah, <laughs> we, um, gradually, it died. You know, everybody had their chance to come and visit us and then they moved on to other things you know americans like new stuff they don't like yeah, to repeat yeah. themselves. so mm-hmm. it did get much less we still get people in but nothing like that pace mm-hmm. the first year it was insane oh, and it's goodness. difficult because they're on vacation and we're leading a life so right, you know, yeah. right. classes you know in spanish and painting and other things and oh, social it's gotta be exhausting yeah, it's that's really- when I put out my mat that says "Go away." You, you know, yes. I'll, I'll put it in Spanish. She has one. I have one. He goes, yeah. And a rock in the garden that says "Go away." Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I'm the oldest of seven, and I took care of a lot of people in my life, so this is my time. This is why we're going to go abroad, but we're not going to let anyone know where we are. <laughs> well, we received advice the first time we were there that said, "Look, just get a really, really small apartment so they can't stay with you." <laughs> 
Oh, and no, no, they'll stay. It's roomier apartment, so we just can't pull that off. <laughs> uh, in fact, it's inconvenient for me to have people sleeping in my office doesn't really cut it with family. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. kids get put in there and the adults, we work it out. Yeah, yeah. You know, the one thing I should say about traveling, right, when you're over in Europe, yeah, and probably other places as well, is Karen and I have found that you should really travel with a purpose. That's why we did the comfort tour. You know, that's why we're doing the happiness tour. To just go and go to the museum, one museum after another, as some friend of mine said, I'm churched out. Mm. You know, yes. nice. who cares whether you see one more church? Right. But if you go to a place with a yes. purpose, it opens up all sorts of doors for you that um, you would never expect. And people are more than welcoming. You know, if you say, I'm here, I'd like to film you, or do you mind if I come back? Uh, or could you tell me about your cooking? It changes everything. We encourage people, if they're going to, especially if you're going on a longer trip, mm-hmm. go with a purpose. You'll find it much more enjoyable. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be anything fancy. I mean, it can be taking pictures of, I don't know, statues of saints with red hair. Right. It doesn't really matter. But something that will give you an excuse to talk to people, mm-hmm. an excuse mm-hmm. to get past the tourist track right. in something that's just a little bit more neighborhoody. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't take a huge amount of ingenuity. You know, everybody's got some interests, whether right. it's dogs mm-hmm. or history or it could be any or food. Of course, everybody's interested in food. So that's right. this one. Right, right. Now for the upcoming tour, is there a lot of planning because you're going to go through yeah. see Richard's face? Yes no. Rich, would you like to take that? Yeah, when you're the take this one on. First of all, we travel very differently than most folks. We just go. Mm-hmm. We walk. We have a general idea what countries we want to go to, but we are fully prepared to adjust. We make no reservations in advance. That we was my question. Anything. I wanted to know. Yeah. Okay, go on. We have never been in a town, and believe me, we have been in a lot of small towns where we didn't have a reservation or we got it 24 hours before we arrived. It gives you a lot more flexibility because you're not stuck in a schedule. You get to a place and you go, I, we went into Sarajevo and we were going to be there for a couple of days. We liked it so much. We stayed, what, almost two weeks? Yeah. This is a fabulous town. You know, it wasn't like, okay, I can only be here for, you know, three days because I have to move on to the next town. Mm-hmm. And so for us, I mean, we have friends of ours that want us to go with them, but they plan 11 months in advance mm-hmm. and they know every restaurant, every hotel. <laughs> oh, I can't stand that. They're going to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't do that. Right. And so we tell people we are crap travelers to travel with. We just don't want to be adhere to a schedule at all. Yeah. And we want to be on our own. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we say, look, you, we can go with you, but you have to understand we're going to take off. I love that. I, just, I love that, too, because it takes a little tension off. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants that? We go down to the train station maybe a day before and we buy a ticket because it's cheaper than buying it on the same day or the bus. But outside of that, you explore the city in a very different way. Right. Right. And so, and especially during retirement, you're not tied to any schedule. Right. So, I mean, that's the beauty that we we won't have to do like tons of online research. What hotel or, or, you know, is this place okay to stay overnight in? And okay, this is so good. You'll always find a place to stay. I don't care what town, what city you're in. Mm -hmm. There's always a hotel. It might not be the top of the line, 
Yeah, it may be a little more expensive than mm. you want to stay mm-hmm. in or a little mm-hmm. crummier than you want to stay in. Right. But you're not going to be sleeping in a ditch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have friends who honestly seem to think that if they don't have reservations well in advance, they're going to be sleeping, you know, in the park or something. Right, and right. You know, they're not. I mean, there's always a hotel. Okay. Well, well, it did happen to me once in Honolulu, Hawaii. I was, <laughs> I think, 19 my sister works for an airlines. She had a free pass and it was again the end of the year and somebody had to use it. So I went to Hawaii. There were no hotels available. Oh my God. So what'd you do? I was going to sleep on the beach and then I saw interesting people on the beach. <laughs> and I, I remembered I had a cousin. He was there with his then wife. He had been in the military. She was still in the military and he lived there. And I ended up getting his number and calling him up. Wow. And lucky. He let me stay at his house. Thank you, Donald. <laughs> but nowadays with airbnbs and all that stuff and sure. hostels yeah I mean, sure. in hostels mm-hmm. at some of the greatest times you know sitting around in a community dinner what they've been doing young people you know you know in there and early. i think the hostels abroad are different um we found that most hostel they're still really basic but a lot of hostels have at least one room that is a private room mm-hmm. with a ah. double queen size bed and a minuscule bathroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's more than staying in the dormitory style rooms. Right, right, so right. Yet the the fun of staying in a hostel is the conversations. Yeah, yes. It's unbelievable people that go through, and it's all ages now. Right, it's a much broader thing. When mm-hmm. I was young and hitchhiking around Europe, very mm-hmm. different scene. Yeah, but now it's a it's a much broader spectrum of people, but it's still people who are not timid travelers and they're not first-time travelers. Usually Usually people who have had a little bit of experience and want to see something that's a little bit different than they can find at the Hilton. You know, not that there's anything wrong with the Hilton and I have been known to go to the Hilton. (laughs) You know, I like stuff that's a little more colorful and local and every once in a while we get to a hostel, always have tons of stories or guest houses, strange little guest houses. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Do you still have to do chores at hostels? Uh, chores? No, we did not. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that anymore. That's called prison. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For real dormitory. All right. So, gosh, we've taken up so much of your time. Is there anything that we may have left out that you'd like to share with our audience? This has been wonderful, by the way. I think I think the one thing, and I mentioned it earlier, is you have to be patient and you have to be flexible. And if you can do those two things... Uh, you'll enjoy yourself far more. And, you know, we've seen Americans come over and say, well, that's not the way we do it in our country. Well, that's because it's not your country. Right, right. Good point. It's their country and you're a guest there. Yeah. And so you should behave yourself like a guest. I was just reading this week of these two kids that got convicted in Italy of murdering the policeman. I don't know whether you saw that. Oh, I haven't seen that. No. No. They were involved in a drug deal and, uh, cops came up and the uh, one kid stabbed the cop and killed him. And oh my they were just sentenced to life in prison. They're from two towns over. Yeah, they're oh, from Mill Valley. Are right here. Yeah, Mill wow. Valley is a very upper crust neighborhood. Very, mm-hmm. very nice place. So, I mean, craziness. They were trying to do drugs. And I, I know that happens. Mm-hmm. But you forget that you're there as a guest. And, you, and you're also there as an ambassador. Yes. Representing your country. Exactly. And so you should behave like that. Our experience has always been people are more than welcoming if you're patient and you're respectful of them. Great. Well, I would just add 
I would suggest that people try not to take themselves too seriously. Because your life as a person in a foreign country in particular is going to be so full of bloopers and pratfalls and misunderstandings and miscommunications and doing things the wrong way and showing up in the wrong clothes and whatever. And nobody else is going to mind nearly as much as you do. So you just have to learn to laugh about it and accept that, okay, I guess I blew that one and move on. without a lot of fuss and bother. This is your life now. And gradually you will figure out, at least most of the time, how to avoid making completely idiotic mistakes. But life is just full of this stuff and you really need to accept this is who you are and this is your life and it's okay. It's okay not to be perfect. I love that. Wisdom. So Karen and Richard, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. And it sounds like you have much more in terms of travel. And we're going to be following you, Karen, on your blog. Stay in touch. Yeah, right? thank you so much. That was, thank you so much you, for your time. You guys time. You both were really great. Sometimes we get couples and one's better than the other. You were both great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys thank are really fun to talk with. I really enjoy the conversation. Okay, we'll be in touch. Okay. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.